Hello and welcome to the Lost World Minutes, a minute-by-minute podcast reviewing the 1997 sequel to Jurassic Park, One Minute at a Time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And this week we're talking about Minute 5 of The Lost World, which uh, is an interesting minute. But before we get to that, David, what have you been up to this week? Uh, not much, not much. Uh, my aunt died, so I went down south oh, a little s- bit to uh, go to her funeral. I'm sorry to hear that, man. I've had uh, I've had some new new stuff come in the mail to uh, add to the collection um, from Jurassic nice. pa- from Jurassic Park, not Jurassic World, uh, the Lost World. But um, yeah, been a quiet week. All right, so if you're ready, we'll get into this week's minute. I am. All right, let's do it. As the fourth minute of the Lost World ended, we had the crew and parents running down the beach after Kathy's screams. At the four minute mark, the family arrive on the scene. Mike Bowman tells the crew to get the animal off of her daughter's nose. At four minutes and five seconds, we get Mrs. Bowman screaming at the sight she's just beheld. At four minutes and nine seconds, we get a smash cut to Dr. Ian Malcolm standing in front of a billboard in a subway station. He's completely dressed in black, very similar to what we've seen him in Jurassic Park, minus the long hair. At 4 minutes and 24 seconds, the train pulls to a stop and the doors open. The train carriage number 5983 can be seen. At 4 minutes and 26 seconds, Dr. Malcolm boards the train and looks for a seat to sit down. At 4 minutes and 35 seconds, he's recognised by one of the commuters. At 4 minutes and 40 seconds, the commuter begins to click his fingers, trying to signal Dr. Malcolm's attention. At 4 minutes and 44 seconds, Dr. Malcolm sees the commuter signal on him and looks away and pretends not to have seen him. At 4 minutes and 50 seconds, the commuter comes over and sits down beside Dr. Malcolm, asking, Are you the guy? You know, the guy, the scientist? You're him, right? Excuse me? The scientist, the guy? And that ends the fifth minute of The Lost World. Alright, so... The fifth minute that uh, starts with the final, uh, the final scene from the beach incident. Uh, we get Mike and Kathy, Bo- uh, Mike and Deidre Bowman uh, running up to the screams of the daughter. And um, I now that I've really listened to it a few times, and when you are listening for it, you can hear the uh, the f bomb dropped by Mike Bowman. So <laughs> interesting, Spielberg left that one in. And this is the uh, this is the last we see of these actors, Camilla Bell as Kathy. Sid Stripmatter as Mrs. Bowman and Robin Sachs as Mr. Bowman. Thank you for your efforts, guys. You've done a good job setting us up for the start of the movie. Um, anything else you want to say on that before we move on, Dave? No. No. I'm good. All right. Um, now, there is a deleted, famous deleted scene called the boardroom scene that uh, we reckon takes place right about now. And actually, I wasn't aware, David, you were saying to me last week that uh, on the TV release of the film, it's actually put back in the movie um yeah and a couple of the stations uh i'm not sure if you get these stations over in australia but we got we get like sci-fi channel and fox over here mm-hmm. and both and uh both in the early 2000s and late 90s fox used to have the exclusive rights to air the lost world on tv and they always put the scene back in yeah, and now sci-fi and uh, a couple other stations have the rights to air the movies on TV. 
So you'll get to, you'll see the deleted scene in in their intended spots. Hmm. Have you um have you got the Blu-ray free pack? I do. Yes. Have you seen? Is it on that? Because just uh, thinking, it is, yeah. it is okay. Oh, oh the the, the uh, TV version is not on there now. Okay. Sorry. So. Deleted scene. Yeah, yeah. You'd think with a uh, here's a big Blu-ray pack, they'd throw all those deleted scenes back in. Anyway, so yes, we got the uh, the boardroom scene here, so we thought we may as well discuss it. Um, we're not going to do a, a separate bonus for the uh, extra scenes. We'll just um, talk about them when we think they should appear. Or uh, now that we've got the TV version that you've seen, David, you'll know exactly where they appear, so we can bring them up when we get to them. Um, but uh, the boardroom scene. InGen headquarters, we don't know where. 48 hours after the uh, the cafe incident in Costa Rica, um, like when we talked when it first started, or a minute three, it was, uh, we thought it was two weeks, but um, a lot closer, a lot sooner after the uh, the Compi attack. And uh, we get, what's his name, Arliss Howard, Peter Ludlow at the head of the board, giving us a bit of dialogue about... Uh, some of the costs InGen have had to fork out as a result of the uh, Jurassic Park project and what happened on this new blower. It's interesting some of the figures here. I'll just run through them quickly. Uh, Donald Gennaro, 36.5 million. Being the lawyer, he's the one that uh, got the most <laughs> out of everyone. John Arnold was 23 million. Robert Muldoon, 12.6. So he was the less paid out of the people that died, or his family was. Um, damaged or destroyed equipment, 17.3 million, which... Um, it's interesting that that's they've got damaged and destroyed equipment, and then they've got demolition of Isla Nublar facilities, organic and inorganic, one point uh, one hundred twenty-six million. So it's okay. Maybe they've gone, they went back in and assessed the damage and right out of seventeen million dollars worth of damage. We're not going to uh, we're not going to try and reopen the park, but then to spend one uh, one hundred twenty-six million to destroy everything, it's it's weird and like. Leaving, leaving Jurassic World out of the picture altogether at the moment, that um, this is pretty much confirming they went in, they killed everything, they knocked everything over, um, and Jurassic Park, as we know it, is no longer there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I always found the scene interesting because, in a way, before Jurassic World came around, this always kind of was the finite moment for Jurassic Park. This was always the moment that said Jurassic Park is over and done with. They destroyed everything there. We don't really know how much of it was destroyed, but we know that a good chunk of it was was destroyed. The perfect reason why Jurassic Park 3 happened on Sauna and not, uh, we didn't go back to Nebula is that um, it's not there. And then Jurassic World comes around and says, wait, 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 wait. Not everything was destroyed. We still got the T-Rex. We still got the Visitor Center. We still got little bits of infrastructure here and there. So it really brings into question how much of the scene is actually canon, if it's still canon at all. Yeah, well, it's like they've... Uh, the production company or Universal going, right, well, it was a deleted scene. We, it's, it's, it might be on... I'm pretty sure it's on the first Blu-ray I've got. They've got deleted scenes on there. Um, oh, DVD, I mean. But um, it's just a deleted scene. We're not going to take it as canon because... Obviously, we've got this new movie coming out, and we need to uh, hit that nostalgia button for all the old fans and uh, have some old uh, locations from Nublar on there, and we can't do that if the boardroom scene is taken as canon. Um, mm-hmm. Well, the interesting thing is, and you'll see this later, come up later with um, 
some of the deleted scenes, but you can still see that deleted scenes still happen within the time frame of the movie. We just don't see them actually happen. Because hmm. there's actually, and we'll talk about this later, when Nick goes to grab the baby T-Rex and, and uh, untrap it, you can actually see there's a uh, bottle of scotch in a cup that was uh, that was introduced when Ludlow goes and breaks the baby's T-Rex leg accidentally in a deleted scene. Mm. Yep. And that cup wasn't there earlier when we got the zoom shot of the baby T-Rex and Roland overlooking the trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's, uh, there's some other expenses. He, he doesn't give uh, figures, but um, he rattles off research funds as being an expense and media payoff uh, silence is expensive. As far as we know, it was only Malcolm that started trying to say, say like, let the world know what happened at Jurassic Park because all these people died and InGen was trying to cover it up. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as I know, everyone else signed their non-disclosure agreements and have uh, held tight to it. So, in research funds, I wonder if they they uh, kept on researching Grant after the. Well, I suppose they would have been. Or Hammond would have been true to his word and funded them for another three years because he also says that they're uh, bleeding money on a, nat- a naturalist's dreaming like uh, Hammond still spend company money on, on stuff mm-hmm. um, well they go more into this into the original scripts in that Hammond was giving uh, Hammond was giving uh, ecology lectures and I think they mentioned it in the deleted scene as well Yeah, he was trying to force the board into creating into making Isla Sorna a natural preserve versus just a research facility. Hmm. It's interesting, like Ludlow's saying that how um, Hammond's signing their checks and spending the uh, investors' money. Sure, the company hasn't stayed afloat off four years of just investors handing money over to them willy-nilly. There's got to be something else they're doing that's um, bringing bringing in finances because we also get uh, the drop line that uh, stocks has dropped from seventeen and a quarter to nineteen flat. Now I'm not I'm not in the stock exchange. I don't know what that means. That number's gone up to me and not down. So I don't know if don't know what that means. But um, if they if they got if they're on the stock market, then surely there's something something they're selling, trading, doing that's bringing in finances apart from the uh, Jurassic Park project. Mm-hmm. Well, in the well, actually the book goes into this more as well, whereas the books usually do. Was Ham is Engine wasn't just setting up a dinosaur park; it was a full-blown genetic company. Mm. It made it made little like one of the Hammonds. Uh, in order to pitch the Jurassic Park project to investors, he had a pygmy elephant that he carried around in a cage, it was about the size of a cat. <laughs> and this goes into the Lost World novel where uh, Dodgson goes and is meeting with the heads of Biosyn, and he's saying. Well, what if InGen could make little pets? What if InGen could make could have made uh, a biological preserve, hunting preserve, where you could go spend ten grand and hunt a T Rex? Mm. What if InGen made InGen pet food, and that's the only thing you could feed your pet InGen dinosaur? Exactly, or, and that's that's one thing he brought up. Like, and it's it, it happens in the world today. Like, a company releases a product. Um, that uh-huh. product can only eat your branded food it can only you need to have uh, your vets look at it um, mm-hmm. if you had like the uh, like the rumored two year 
bug that are in iPhones and that, like every two years your phone dies and you have to get a new one. Or most mm-hmm. most electronics, like there could be some sort of something in the genes, um, maybe not kill, the... maybe not kill the animal, but have it have it come down with some sort of illness every two years or that mm-hmm. only our vets can fix. It's, it's it's quite a cash cow, and I'm excited to see if any of this comes up in Jurassic World 2. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but I think for the uh, the boardroom, um, we get a, a vote vote to uh, kick Hammond off as CEO, and Ludlow wins unanimously by the looks of it. Everyone puts their hand up. And yeah, a little smile, smile on his face. They're... Uh, They've got sauna. They've got assets there that are con- <laughs> interesting choice of words. Safely be harvested, um, mm-hmm. and they're going to uh, get everything built and get there and start catching some dinosaurs. This, that was always kind of the difference between Hammond and Ludlow, though. Was Hammond actually saw the animals? He saw them as living, breathing, actual animals. He saw them as more than just products that you pop out on an assembly line, which essentially they did, when we, which we see in the third movie. Mm. However, Ludlow, as you see in the film, and we'll talk about this later, is he's never actually been to Isla Nublar. He's never been to Isla Sorna. He's never seen these animals in the flesh. To them, they've just been numbers on the spreadsheet, and he just doesn't see them as living, breathing animals. So the first time he sees the, a dinosaur is when he's on the game trail. You can just see these this look of wonderment on his face, mm. seeing these animals for the first time. Yeah, it makes me wonder. It's sort of uh, it might actually be pre- tied pretty closely to the Claire character in Jurassic World. Maybe before she went to Nubla and seen Jurassic World in operation. Um, mm-hmm. Same, just just another by the numbers by the numbers person. Again, that's probably more business than uh, business sense and characterization. But um, yeah, yeah. And we don't know what for yet. He's, uh, we don't know if they're going to have another Jurassic Park. They're obviously going to use the animals to... Uh, it's the old underpants gnomes joke. They've, they've got the animals. They don't know how they're going to do it, but it's going to equal profit in the end. <laughs> so, all right. Um, getting back to minute five. We get our first look, Ian Malcolm. Now, him yawning in this scene, sort of... It feels better coming after the boardroom scene. Because it's like, oh, that was boring. Boardroom scene, corporate, corporate infighting. Instead of uh, yawning after a little girl just got her face bitten, <laughs> but uh, we get an older-looking Jeff Goldblum. Um, he's lost the hair. He's still dressed in black. Mm-hmm. Um, waiting for a train. Now, we've talked about this elsewhere in the past. Um, it's clearly the New York subway system. Um, mm-hmm. Even the uh, the number on the side of the train five nine eight three comes up as New York subway train. Um, mm-hmm. Yet when he walks in and sits down, there's a map on the on the wall behind him that's mm-hmm. clearly LA or a city on the uh, western seaboard. That's that's uh, Manhattan, I believe. That's a, you can I'd have to find the actual map, but I believe that's a Manhattan subway map. But all the oceans on the on the left hand side of it, not the west west hand side. Well, man, that's kind of how Manhattan is. Is it's it kind of Manhattan is on the west side of Long Island. There's a big long this Long Island, which is just right next to the shore, the eastern shore of the United States. Yep. So there's kind of a bay there, and Manhattan is on the west side of that bay. So you'll see that you'll see in movies all the time how. 
you'll see the rush of the Atlantic Ocean, like in 2012, and or no, I'm sorry, uh, how in uh, what's it called? Day after tomorrow. The day after tomorrow. Yep. Yeah, you'll see that the Atlantic Ocean just rushes into Manhattan, <laughs> and it does. It does not how it is. It had to cross the entire landmass of of. The islands on the eastern seaboard first in order to get to it. Oh, movie magic. (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's all right. A a quick Google search or Google Maps look at uh, Manhattan would have would have told me that. So that's that's on that's my bad. Um, That's okay. Yeah, but I I didn't expect to know those things. Yeah, and it's just locations a weird one in the movies in the novels. Okay, it's Palo Alto, it's California. Um, Like we've got no idea where Hammond's mansion is. He, uh, Malcolm's obviously on the way to it now. We know it was shot in New York. We can say it's New York. Engine headquarters, that's up in the air. We know the engine waterfront that we're going to get to later. Um, headquarters aren't there, but it's a little bit ambiguous. And uh, yeah, so we get um, we get a commuter trying to get Malcolm's attention. Um, quoted this curious man, Ross Partridge. Who, uh, I was thinking he was one of the crew members, but I can't remember. Mm, he, um, the uh, Jurassic Cast podcast, if I believe, had an interview with him um, on one of their episodes. So you go check it out. He talks about uh, filming, how uh, Goldblum helped him out filming, and that, uh, like the seasoned actor he is. Um, mm-hmm. But you can just see in Malcolm's face when he looks up and sees the guy clicking at him, trying to get his attention. It's just, oh, no, not this again. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the... Uh, that's about all we get. The scene ends, and uh, he asks him, "Are you the guy, the scientist, the guy?" Ends halfway through the scene, but um, we don't know why. Why he's not recognised him yet? Um, mm-hmm. So we'll uh, we'll get into the uh, rest of this sequence in minute six. Thanks, minute six. Yep. So, David, if if that's it for you, uh, we'll get on out of here and uh, join you all next time. Yeah, sounds good to me. Radio, let's go. Alright guys, let's get the hell out of here. Contact details are on the website, thelostworldminute.com. You can email feedback to thelostworldminute at gmail.com. Facebook, The Lost World Minute. Twitter, at The Lost World Minute. And Instagram, The Lost World Minute. Easy to remember. Yeah, yep, very easy to remember. (laughs) Uh, David, thank you for joining me for this recording. You're welcome. And uh, we'll be back. I've been Brad. I'm Dave. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Talk to you later. Bye. It is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, Life will find a way.